My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. I am Iron Man. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the post-credit pod. And there we go. There we go. We're starting off this Friday with a lot of energy and deservingly so because Eric, you and I have been doing this podcast for several months now. You know, we've done dozens of episodes and yet this arguably may be some of the biggest news we are going to tackle all year. Uh, of course, for the, for the regular listeners, we will be hitting our Mando recap, breakdown, analysis in this episode. But first, I mean, yesterday... Disney presented their investor day rollout strategy plan. We obviously have to hit that. Uh, now, Eric and I, we love Pixar as much as the next overgrown man child still desperately holding on to their youth. But for simplicity's sake, since they announced more than 50 new projects yesterday, we are honing in on this new Star Wars and Marvel announcements in our kind of Disney Investor Day recap analysis. That said, shout out to Lightyear real quick because... Yeah, damn. I did have that on a, on a bonus point on our okay. outline in case we did want to hit on that one because that awesome. one sounds awesome. Yes, okay. <laughs> so yes, for the purposes of this pod and for simplicity's sake, we are going to forego most of the Disney animation Pixar. Maybe we'll do that next week, very possible. Uh, but for right now, we're just going to quickly run through each and every uh, announcement made for Star Wars and Marvel in one sentence each. We'll, we'll tackle Star Wars first, talk a little bit about that, then we'll move to Marvel. So quick rundown, just so everyone's caught up to date. Star Wars has upwards of 10 new series and movies coming to Disney, Disney Plus, theatrical, all that stuff. They got the long-rumored Ahsoka Tano spinoff, which Dave Filoni will be serving as creator and showrunner. They've got Rangers of the Republic from John Favreau and Dave Filoni. That is also a Mando spinoff. All three of those shows will culminate in a crossover event. Uh, we've got Hayden Christensen officially returning as Darth Vader to the upcoming Obi-Wan Kenobi miniseries. Now, now we have a uh, confirmed timeline for that 10 years after Revenge of the Sith. We have Dude. arguably... <laughs> what? That's all I got to say. Dude, I think that's perfectly encapsulates my attitude as well. We've got a surprising news, which wasn't even really rumored. It wasn't really on any scoopers radar. Patty Jenkins will be directing the 2023 Star Wars film. It's going to be Rogue Squadron, which is basically Star Wars Top Gun. And for everyone that doesn't know, uh, Rogue Squadron was the Rebel Alliance fighter squad founded by Luke Skywalker. That means Taika Waititi's Star Wars movie, which has been previously reported, is actually the 2024 film. So that's a nice little surprising shakeup. We've got a Lando Calrissian Disney Plus series coming from Dear White People's Justin Simeon in development. We don't know which Lando is it, it's going to be, whether it's going to be Donald Glover's or... Um, oh my God, I'm blanking on his name because it's still early oh, in the morning. Oh, uh, Jimmy... Billy, no? Billy D. Williams. Billy D. Williams. <laughs> I apologize. Jimmy, it's I been a long week, folks. It could be both of them, which would be really cool. Nice little back and forth timeline. We've got the. Previous I think that that's a great guess, B. Yeah, I, I think they'll both be, be in it for sure. His yeah. whole life, you know, I, I think that sounds great. We've got the previously reported Cassian Andor prequel spinoff series from Rogue One. It's officially titled Andor. That's coming in 2022. We've got the Acolyte, which. Of all these projects, sounds like maybe one of the most interesting to me. That because of is, when it's set, right? Yes, absolutely. That is yep. a mystery thriller set in the last days 
of the new of the era, the High Republic, which is completely thousands of years separate from the kind of 60 year timeline we've been focused on in uh, in the kind of saga movies and TV shows. That's from Russian doll creator Leslie Headland. We've got the Bad Batch, previously anima- a previously reported animated series about the rogue clone stormtroopers from Clone Wars. We've got a droid story, which will introduce a new heroic droid alongside R2-D2 and C-3PO. And last but not least, something that sounds super interesting for a guy like me, Star Wars Visions, which is going to be a series of short anime-inspired anthology Star Wars films. That sounds awesome. So, Eric, that, that's all the projects. So, you know, before we get into the kind of specific questions. And, well, and- I have one for you, sir. They unveil this stuff every year, right? But it, was this a bigger one than it's been in years past? Because it felt bigger. Yes. Yeah, so for someone who's been covering entertainment media press events for years, this is the single biggest press event I've ever seen in terms of concrete announcements, updates, new projects. I've never seen anything on this scale before. You never get 50 plus new projects being like, hey, here you go, fans. And I mean, and we're not even really going to touch on this podcast about all the stuff announced about FX, Hulu, all that stuff. So so really, this was as big as you've yep. ever seen because I just want to give like a context of yeah. how much stuff they because when you try and sift through it, it's overwhelming. Yeah, so I mean, to I give that context of it's supposed that. to feel that way because this is as big as they've ever done it makes total sense. And to that point, Eric, this morning it is being reported, and anyone can go see for themselves right now, that Disney stock has now hit a all-time high of 170 plus per share. And their market cap, which for anyone who doesn't know, is essentially a company valuation. That was $156 billion in early 2018. Now, this morning, it has surpassed $300 billion for the first time ever. And that's more than Comcast, that's more than AT&T, that's more than Netflix, that's more than Viacom, CBS. Clearly, Wall Street was like, yo, that was dope. It's insane. Well, and because they have all, all those parks and stuff, so they're just, they are taking over the world in, in ways that I guess if you really wanted to, you know, look at it, like there's long been a talk of are they becoming a monopoly? And this sort of gives you that feeling, right? Like how many projects and brands that they've come to own? Like you forget that they just bought Fox. Like I was like, oh yeah, they own Fox Searchlight now. <laughs> so the extent of their reach, the fact that I would assume that this makes By the them- way, I just want to go on record. I do not think Disney is a monopoly. I've written about it for Observer. That's a topic for another day, but I just like to go on record. I don't think either. so either, but I do think that if they continue at this rate of growth, they're going to end up buying every brand that they can at some point. But just sort of the overwhelming scale of what they do now is reflected in that dollar sign that you just told us 308 billion has got to be the biggest valuation for any sort of entertainment film tv house ever right i would imagine it's huge i mean like you said i like that you specified an entertainment media house because apple and amazon are both circling one trillion that's they do <laughs> entertainment but that's not necessarily i hate this planet. what they're about <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fuck out of here with these numbers. Come on. I know one trillion <laughs> is just insane. Like, I, 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 look, that's a fake number. You just made that up. You yeah, know? Exactly. But yeah, so there, there's there's this massive inflation growth going on that's both good and, and bad. 
and you know I'm covering the business angles on Observer, but from a fan perspective, from what we're doing right here, I feel like you can't be anything but excited after yesterday, right? Yeah, there's no doubt about it, especially like, you know, the, the way that this past year has gone, the lack of big films, and, you know, it's been such an overwhelmingly brutal year that at time, or finally now that yeah. there's a vaccine, I'm starting to feel like that we could see the light at the end. But this sort of news that reminds you, like, all of these things are still in the works. There is a ton of content, not even just this new stuff, stuff they've had backlog now for a year. So we are, despite the fact that we've had to eat shit for this last year, <laughs> the way that things are set up now with stuff they already have in the tank, plus all of this new stuff, we're going to be getting either a new MCU or Star Wars TV series or film probably once every two or three months at some point, which is could be a problem in it of itself i get that but considering that they're trying what it seems that instead of doing gigantic scale things they're trying to tell smaller stories within this canon so it doesn't so you can sort of pick and choose what you want and not have to feel like you have to consume everything but as a fan as you just said knowing how much content we're getting in these next two three four five ten years is thrilling yeah and i want to point out for anyone who wasn't uh you know paying attention to the disney investors day yesterday because you know you have lives <laughs> uh all of these projects aside from taika watiti's 2024 film are coming in the next two years all of them and that, that includes the marvel stuff too aside from the films that have been specifically dated out of that this is all 2021 to 2023 content lineup which means the very near future is just stacked. Yeah, crazy. All right, Eric, of all those mm-hmm. announcements and new projects and, and updates on projects we have been looking forward to, even though you're not the biggest Star Wars fan. I'm the getting world, there, pal, with this shit. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah that's seriously. what I love to hear, man. This, this podcast is going to slowly morph into all Star Wars all the time. Well, but that's, again, <laughs> that's sort of a problem. We're, we're going to talk about that for both this and Marvel. But what is A your biggest takeaway from the kind of Lucasfilm content lineup and B, what are you most excited for among these, these projects that they have been talking about? Right. So my biggest takeaway is sort of what I just said, whereas they sort of, I mean, look, all of this stuff is still a big scale, right? Cause it is star Wars, yeah. but the scale of the stories being told are now smaller. You know, every series is hyper-focused on one thing. Uh, Even the films now, Rogue Squadron, it doesn't seem like it's going to be setting up into like, you know, this big sort of uh, team up film. It seems like it's going to be a very specific story. So my biggest takeaway is that they are smartly branching off. Instead of trying to build one gigantic house, they're trying to build a bunch of smaller, but yet still gorgeous homes. And I think that that's going to Kind work. of like the Monopoly board game where you buy all the little hotels. <laughs> there you go. Right, exactly. That's exactly what they're doing. And you could choose to consume one type of show and not have to tune into everything else. And you could just pick and choose. Like the uh, Acolyte? Yeah. That sounds so out of left field. And knowing the creator that that comes from and the work that she's done so far and applying that to the Star Wars world, it sort of warps your brain to think about what that's going to be. And that's a very cool thing. What I'm most excited for, and I put this out in a tweet, 
I think the Obi-Wan show, because, and I think it's going to be a four-parter, so it's really just a long film. I think that that is the chance to become truly iconic Star Wars lore. I have brought peace, freedom, justice, and security to my new empire. Your new empire? Don't make me kill you. Anakin, my allegiance is to the Republic, to democracy! If you're not with me, then you're my enemy. Only a Sith deals in absolutes. I will do what I must. You will try. Because we are getting an in their prime Obi-Wan and Darth, despite the fact that we know that that's not where they both meet their ends. We are getting a battle between the two most iconic Star Wars characters there's ever been, not weighted down by the prequels bullshit. So this, in theory, could be what the prequels should have been and the promise of really seeing the early days of Darth Vader. And now that we know the context of these characters and how they've grown side by side and seeing that played out, now that in this post Mando Disney, where it seems like they finally understand how to tell these stories the right way, you combine all of that, and I think that that really, truly could be up there with thought of with the Empire Strikes Back and Rogue One is one of the greatest Star Wars quote unquote films because it is just going to be a long film. Project, time. we can just say, pro, you know, yeah, yeah. So. Here, here's my takeaway, and it's, it's some positives and, it's some, and some negatives as well. Now, first of all, I love that they're finally expanding the scope of who gets to tell Star Wars stories. You know, Patty Jenkins will be the first female director. Uh, prior to this, only one woman has ever had a uh, writing credit on a Star Wars project. Uh, Justin Simeon is telling, you know, uh, the Lando Calrissian series. And, and, you know, to this point, also Leslie Hedlund, like you, like you mentioned, directing The Acolyte. So, different perspectives behind the screen and from a story and character standpoint, that will only open up the world more and put in more differentiation from story to story. That's, that's great. I'm really excited about that. What a little bit I'm worried about is that, especially with the Ahsoka spinoff and the Rangers of the Republic being kind of a Mando triumphant um, and a lot of these other series potentially following suit, I don't want every Star Wars project in the near future to just be like a Mando redub in which it's challenge of the week, episodic, uh, you know, less is more type of stories. I'm very much hoping, because you and I have said this, we prefer the serialized episode to episode carried over overarching narrative. So I, I'm do, I am hoping that these shows don't all follow the same creative beats and actually are kind of a little bit all over the place. You know, one is a neo-Western like Mando. One is maybe a, a, you know, samurai in space Jedi story. I'm hoping there's some diversity in terms of the formats of each story, which probably is the case because I don't think you hire that many different types of storytellers without saying, hey, you're going to do something that's completely different from what they're doing, right? Well, I think that sort of loops into what I just said, that they are giving fans the choice of what Star Wars tale they want to engage with. They're casting a wide net, bringing in a lot of different talent, and then putting their skills into the Star Wars world. I could guarantee you that 
not everybody is going to watch all of these shows. A lot of people are just going to pick and choose, and that is probably what they want. It has to be indicative of also diversity among story. That's what I choose to believe as well. And, and so there won't be a homogenization of style for, for Star Wars. That's what I hope and believe and, you know, I'm looking forward to. Now, in terms of the most excited projects, I'm on record on this show, on Twitter, in writing, everywhere, saying that Obi-Wan Kenobi is my favorite character from the entire Star Wars saga. I love him. He is long, his Disney Plus series has long been my most anticipated. That hasn't changed whatsoever. But now I do want to add the Acolyte to that top tier hype level uh, of wow. Star Wars shows because I am just so thrilled that we are finally escaping the 60-year saga timeline that every single Point. Star Wars project, whether it be feature film, TV show, or animation, has been set in. Just doing that, it frees the project from the shackles of pre-established canon, universe-building tie-ins to familiar elements. It lets it be its entirely new, self-contained, completely fresh creation, which is what I'm really excited for. And that is also what I expect for Taika Waititi's 2024 movie, as Kathleen Kennedy has said, that future Star Wars films will also explore new eras and new planets and corners of the uh, galaxy as well. So that is a huge boost, in my opinion. I mean, you could just tell by like the early, early branding of of the film, the sort of Star Wars font yeah. that they made for him, Absolutely. where it was like the Flintstones kind of. Wait, what? What sort of? It's exactly what he did with Thor Ragnarok, making it this like '80s, you know. Type yeah, of... yeah. No, the fonts were different. I'm saying like, but they're, they're, he clearly says something with each title. Font. Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. And this one had a very, and it was like bright pink and blue, so it, it was a very retro, poppy vibe. And his quirkiness in the Star Wars world, as we've seen, is 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 going to be. Awesome. Now, do we know, is this just a one-off film or? We, we have no idea. Okay. Notably, I'm sure if it does well, I, I'm, I'm sure if it does well, that yeah. it will be more than one. Notably and unsurprisingly, Lucasfilm did not update Ryan Johnson's Star Wars trilogy. So that is well and truly dead. Uh, it's dead, right? I mean, listen, I, I can't confirm that because I'm not at Lucasfilm, but I mean, it's without any updates. I feel like it's been dead years. for years. Which is so unfortunate because love or hate The Last Jedi, I think a, a completely standalone spinoff trilogy, sure. not connected to the saga whatsoever from Ryan Johnson, who is one of our most creative voices in kind of mainstream filmmaking today, would have been fucking dope. Yeah, it's a so, shame. I, as you because can tell, people are stupid <laughs> because people are dumb. <laughs> so now I want to move on to a question you've already touched on, Eric, but I think there's two things we have to be worried about beyond what, what we've talked about already. And that is something you mentioned. Is Disney at the risk of oversaturating the market with too much content, which is what Bob Iger said earlier this year or late 2019 when he said they put too much big screen Star Wars movies into the marketplace too quickly when he was talking about the kind of downward trend of their box office. And a kind of subdivision of that question is, even if they're not at risk of oversaturating the market, are they at risk of hurting the brand if a couple of these TV shows are just subpar programming? Because with this many hands, with this many coals in the fire, not everyone is going to spark. I agree with what you said at the end, how if a, a few of them are bad, will that hurt the brand? I think that that is 
a very real risk that they take. I don't agree with, with the first part that they run the same risk of oversaturating the way that they did in years past because those were all films, A, that you had to go out to see, and B, that were connected to the Star Wars tale that we have known for 30, 40 years at this point. You know, everything was loosely connected to the OG three films. Now, as I've been saying this whole time, everything is entirely different. So I don't think, yes, it's all going to be out there, but because they're not gigantic event films and a lot of them can be streamed, people know that they could pick and choose and they don't have to consume really every, every last bit. Really and I point. think that what we've been saying for the last 10 minutes about how they have diversified, A, the type of stories they're going to tell, and B, the type of talent they've brought in to tell them, is a result of the way things went wrong the last time. They thought, as I just said, instead of hyping up two-ish gigantic films per year, you know, a glorious, massive house, spread it out, let's build smaller, solid homes, and let people pick and choose which ones they want to go to. I think that's a great point. I think it sets up our Marvel conversation well, because I actually think Marvel's under a little bit more pressure when it comes to those two specific concerns than Star Wars is for a few different reasons. Uh, Before we jump into that, let us just quickly run through what Marvel announced yesterday. I'm I'm cracking my knuckles over here because there's so much to run through. Hawkeye, we had talked about it earlier, but now officially confirmed by Kevin Feige, Haley Steinfeld is in the show. She is playing the Bishop. That's awesome. One WandaVision debuted an awesome-looking new trailer. This show is going to rip. I am so confident in them and this show now with this trailer. The vibe that they put out of sort of not only will it be a mind-bender, but it'll be a heartbreaker at the same time. Glorious, Brandon. That's right I'm really up my alley. excited for WandaVision too, but I, I am worried for the greater consumer public that this might be too niche. Because remember, Marvel very much wanted the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which is far more straightforward and accessible, oh, yeah. to be the first Disney Plus Marvel series. They did not want WandaVision being the launching pad. So I am worried for the greater public. To you and I, though, I think it looks spectacular. And we'll, uh-huh. we'll get to that in more detail in a little bit. Uh, speaking of which, Falcon and the Winter Soldier finally debuted its first trailer. Uh, Kevin Feige confirmed that Marvel will not recast Black Panther, but that the movie is still on track for its 2022 release and that uh, Ryan Coogler, the director, is, is currently kind of reshaping the story. Uh, Kevin Feige announced Secret Invasion, long rumored in the MCU, will be coming to Disney+. Plus. That's Samuel L. Jackson's Nick Fury, Ben Mendelsohn's Talos, and it will be covering a secret scroll invasion of Earth, you know, where they, the shapeshifters take the, uh, the form of some familiar faces. So that's going to be really cool. Ironheart, teenage hero Riri Williams, played by Dominique Thorne from Inner City Chicago. She reverse engineers Tony Stark's armor to protect her neighborhood on the south side of Chicago. That sounds great. Armor Wars with Don Cheadle returning as Rhodey slash War Machine explores what happens when Tony Stark's tech falls into the wrong hand. So even though Tony Stark is dead, he clearly has such a firm grip on future MCU stories. This one came out of nowhere. 
Yeah, I mean, it was pretty impressive for all of the eagle-eyed scoopers out there that a lot of these projects weren't even on the radar. I think that's cool. Yeah. Um, we're getting Guardians of the Galaxy live-action Christmas special from James Gunn. This is a very British type of TV strategy. You know, anybody across the pond knows that that's very commonplace there and not so much here. We'll see how it works. On paper, it kind of sounds dumb, but I'm not going to bet against James Gunn whatsoever. We've got I Am Groot, which is a series of shorts uh, featuring Groot interacting with new MCU characters. Unfortunately, we did not get any footage or new footage from Black Widow, Shang-Chi, and Internals, but Kevin Feige did essentially confirm that they're all staying theatrical as of now. We, were, we found out that Christian Bale will be playing Gore, the God Butcher, in Thor Love and Thunder. Feige confirmed that WandaVision, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, and Spider-Man 3 are all connected, as you and I discussed on our last podcast, which everyone should go and download and listen to. <laughs> uh, we got Miss Marvel will co-star in Captain Marvel 2, alongside a grown-up Monica Rambeau, who, who we will meet in WandaVision. We, we know that Blade announcements, some official news, will be coming soon, according to Feige. We know that She-Hulk finally confirmed Tatiani Maslany as uh, Jessica Walters. Mark Ruffalo's Hulk is going to appear. And Feige teased that other MCU characters might pop off. And he specifically mentioned that, the char- that Jessica Walters is a lawyer, which to me screams daredevil. Again, go listen to our last podcast. Uh, we got huge news that John Watts, the Spider-Man MCU director, will be de- developing a Fantastic Four film. We got Ant-Man and the three, uh, Ant-Man 3 confirmed, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, and we got a new trailer, the first trailer for the animated Elseworlds-esque Marvel series, What If. Whew. All right, Eric, take, take it away so I can take a water break. All right, I, I would probably say I'm most hyped for just the news that Fantastic Four is on the way. Um, the John Watts move is interesting to me because... Surprising. What did John Watts do before Homecoming? He did Cop Car, which was an indie film with Kevin Bacon, which was pretty darn good. And that's it? I, I'm, he had other credits. I, I can't okay. I, I uh, because name him off the top of my head. But, I, you know, he was, he's an up-and-comer, or he was. I guess, I don't know. I guess they trust him the way that they put the, the trust in the Russos. You know, they're like, all right, we like this guy. We know, what, we know that he knows what he's doing. But... For a film that should be one of the MCU's biggest of all time, I mean, this is the Fantastic Four. These are the OGs. Marvel's first family, baby. Um, I sort of wish they would have taken a bigger swing, gotten a bigger name attached, brought in somebody new. Um, I'm still excited for it. I just think that that choice to not rehash someone they've used and somebody whose style we know and not opt to, like I just said, take a larger swing. Yeah, you know, this is nothing against John Watts whatsoever, but I agree. Um, I think Tom Holland's Peter Parker is the standout element of the MCU Spider-Man movies, while the movie themselves are totally enjoyable, but maybe not the most cutting edge. You know, I don't put them against... Spider-Man 2 or Into the Spider-Verse in terms of my all-time Spidey movie rankings. Uh, Again, perfectly enjoyable, like John Watts. But I think maybe a bigger swing, a little bit more of a visual pizzazz from a a filmmaker that we know or or an up-and-coming filmmaker that we don't know could have been interesting. That's not to say Fantastic Four isn't going to be 
you know, bonkers and cool and, and a great introduction, but that it just screams to me that they are trying to play it safe. Fantastic Four has been screwed up twice now, and that this time they're just trying to be safe about it, which, which is maybe, what the yeah. MCU does. But at the same time, like if they really took a if they really brought in a name for this, that would have been something. One question I've kind of seen pop up across Twitter over the last twenty four hours is 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 John Watts a capable, talented yes man? I don't know because I'm not at Marvel. You know, he doesn't seem to have any problems with Marvel, but he doesn't seem to have any problems. He doesn't seem to have ever had any kind of contentious relationship, which is good. Uh, but you, you never know. Is he towing the company line? I don't know. What we do know is that Marvel is now giving him two massive properties, and that is Spider-Man, obviously, but specifically this universe-bridging crossover Spider-Man 3 and now Fantastic Four. They clearly have a ton of confidence in him. So I'm saying, you know, trust the process. Yeah. And I bring that up because in terms of what they talked about, this was probably the one big ticket marquee project because the rest, just like the Star Wars, are all smaller in scale, which clearly is what they're doing with all their big brands at this point. As much as I love these characters and these films, None of these shows, to me, none of them scream must-watch. Not a single one to me. Oh, I'm you? sorry. I forgot in our update, we also got a Loki trailer. Forgot about that. Loki, yeah. So for me, I'm legitimately very excited for WandaVision. Really excited for Loki. I thought that trailer looked like a ton of fun. And I'm really excited for What If, because that kind of Elseworld storytelling is right up my alley. Uh, I think all the money in the world looks like it's on the screen and the Falcon and the Winter Soldier and that, and that's great. It looks like a blockbuster production and I'm probably going to enjoy it, but it's not really moving my specific needle. And the other ones sound really cool, but I mean, I'm not as excited for like uh, an Armor Wars or a Miss Marvel as I am for necessarily like the acolyte or obi-wan if we're doing a comparison exactly of, same of, of the, the the brand but I, I do think a ton of people will will be excited and notably in this whole presentation we didn't get any news on deadpool we didn't get any new news on x-men expected and while he touched on uh moon knight a little bit he did didn't confirm Oscar Isaac, even though he was confirming everybody else. So I thought that was all interesting as well. Interesting. Probably That's not, a good not, point. Uh, I didn't even think about that. Probably. Listen, that means negotiations with Isaac are ongoing or that he dropped out. I hope he didn't drop out. I really hope so, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, that would, be a, that would be a blow. But I think that's a good thing, right? Because had they announced those on top of it, then it would have been like an overwhelming wave. I think that this signals that these characters are going to show up after this sort of phase in phase five i think that this guarantees that the phase four plan has now been laid out and then phase five is when we get these well all of these like the other ones are 2021 to 2023 except for the movies that are specifically said otherwise right and then i think once we're over that wave is when we'll get the deadpools oh oh, oh that's yeah yeah and they had previously re- reported that x-men would be five years out exactly so and that was from like 2019 so that makes sense yeah now of these, what are you most excited for? And then we'll hop into kind of the more concerning questions. Well, you just sort of bummed me out about it, but I am most hyped for Moon Knight 
because you have who's thought of to be one of the A-list stars these days in a significantly darker MCU take than we've seen. Moon Knight is an inherently, and here comes a Batman-esque character, <laughs> something that we have, which we have, which is something that we haven't really seen yet in the MCU thus far. So I would have liked, you're right, I would have liked to hear more about that, but that to me stands is probably of all their shows, the one that is like a big ticket, holy shit, this is a big deal show. Yeah, I'm, I'm adding Moon Knight to my list. So for me, it's, it's WandaVision I'm really excited for, uh, Loki, which I think looks like fun, What If, I love the Elseworlds, and Moon Knight. Those, those are the ones I'm really pumped for. You know, Falcon and Winter Soldier, Ironheart, Armor Wars, I Am Groot, you know, those, I'm sure they will all have a high floor of quality. They're just not necessarily what I'm going to be going on Twitter to, to bug out about. I also feel like a lot of their content outside of like the Doctor Stranges and the Thors, but the Disney Plus shows seem more aimed at kids than their films do. Yeah, definitely. I think they're going a little bit younger with the audience in that um it's it's interesting because it seems like they're trying to straddle both lines and i'm not sure that they necessarily can pull that off although this is supposed to be for kids and i think that feeds into the larger larger question we've kind of talked about the reason i'm more concerned with marvel than i am for star wars is because prior to the pandemic and the pandemic may have actually been a blessing in disguise in terms of in terms of resetting the hype and anticipation but prior to the pandemic, 2021 was supposed to have four MCU features and at least three to four MCU Disney Plus series all premiering. That to me, regardless of picking and choosing and what you said, you know, if you're having seven, eight projects of blockbuster proportions dropping in one year, that's, that's too much. It's too yeah. much. It's an yeah. oversaturation of the market to the point where people get a little bit blase and nonchalant about it. Now, again, as I've said, and as I've discussed with people throughout the industry, the pandemic might have secretly been a blessing in disguise and that we went essentially a year plus without having any fresh MCU content. So everyone's hype levels are back to like huge amounts. But, you know, moving forward after that subsides in 2021, you know, are they really going to be doing three films plus three series a year? That, that's a little bit more palatable, but it's still a lot. And I think because Marvel has had such a consistently high floor, whereas Star Wars fans are now used to quality being all over the place. If you roll out two or three subpar Marvel Disney Plus series in a row, even if another one is a Hall of Famer, that does tweak the brand perception a little bit in the eyes of fans, consumers, whatever you want to call them. That's it, babe. Tell them. <laughs> Let them the fuck know. <laughs> all right. Well, that, that's, that's all I got for the, uh, the Marvel stuff, unless you want to touch on anything else. Well, I don't know. Do you have like a bottom line point? Bottom line point is that if it's you, a good time to be a fan. If you don't like franchise content, luckily there's never been more independent movies being made across all platforms than ever before. But like, yeah, you're going to need to just get over it because this is the future. This is now. <laughs> Fair and enough. I think uh, I think for our listeners, for a future podcast, I think it'd be fun for you and I to recast the Fantastic Four. Oh, I like that for sure. That'll be fun. All right, you want? I move? mean, half of it is done. If the MCU doesn't go the John Krasinski, Emily Blunt route, what are we even doing here? Seriously, I don't think they're what, going what? what? They might, what? but they might not. Brandon, don't Let's you say. put that out there? Listen, I think it would be cool, but I also think there's other people that would be cool too. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm definitely not anti Krasinski and Emily Blunt. Like, I love them mm. too. But. Just do it. <laughs> and then bonus bonus projects that were announced yesterday that we'll definitely touch on in future pods and on Twitter. Noah Hawley's Alien series for FX, which he Very did cool. talk to me about uh, back in September or October when it was still quote unquote canceled and it wasn't public that it was coming back. So that's cool. And he had some cool comments for me. At and it's the first one set on earth. Yeah. Which is really, really interesting. And then uh, the Pixar Buzz Lightyear origin sci-fi epic, oh, you know, Oh my God. this show is 90% dedicated to the sci-fi genre. <laughs> so to attach that to the Toy Story franchise IP to get Chris Evans to voice the character. I mean, that I don't care what people say, like, oh, they're just like rebranding the, the, the IP and just fuck right it. off. <laughs> Tell yeah, those, sounds, those people can fuck right off. It sounds I, so cool. Dude, this a look, Pixar it, sci-fi epic. I'm in. I'm in. I'm in. Yeah, if if they stick the landing of what this could be, I'm already putting it in as my favorite Pixar film of all time. <laughs> and that is another uh because to to be pod. clear, it is about the light year human being that the toy is based on within the universe, so this is yeah. going to be a man going into the great unknown tale told through pixar sign me the fuck up i cannot yeah, believe and I'm chris there. evans dude like that was low-key one of the biggest huh. for me one of my favorites of the whole thing that Seriously. was exciting news I, i'm yeah. into it all right shall we move on to the mandalorian doo-doo, chapter doo-doo, seven and they changed up the theme song this week. They were revving it. They were just trying to throw you off your game because they knew you were coming with that those high like, notes. Yep. Well, no, because that's the only one that I can do. Because it's just saying the same thing, do 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 do, over and over again. <laughs> Still impressive to me. Thank you. Thank you. Now, I I really like this episode, and I think the last like three four episodes they're in a groove right now. For sure. And we would complain about the one-off episodes, but this was that done perfectly. Absolutely yeah. perfectly. With actual ideas behind it and not just, hey, let me just do a side quest just for side questing. Yeah, right. Right. Which I like. All right, let's jump into the plot recap and we can talk about our thoughts and point out what we really liked and everything. Uh, so to start... Cara Dune and Mandalorian are teaming up and they are going to find Miggs Mayfield, played by Bill Burr, who we saw in arguably the worst season one episode. And I love, just to start, that he, he flips the script here. It may be the worst of the show so far. Potentially. It could potentially be. And yet, his return is quite damn good. Yes. Uh, so essentially, they need Mayfield in order he to... adds like a like a sense of streetwise and grime that weighs this show down in a way that I think it's strong. You know, we, we always talk about wanting to see like the nitty gritty Star Wars. He really brings that because you get the feeling that this is a guy who has been through some shit and has seen both sides and has done some bad things. Yeah. And both Bill Burr, who's not a Star Wars fan in real life, and his character who doesn't really give a shit about, you know, either side, kind of like you said, there's no enchantment with the lore he's just a dude just trying to get through the day and i think that's a healthy attitude to have for for star wars after years of hero worship yep yep so so the reason they need him is he's former imperial he can kind of navigate the system and know where to go in order to get the coordinates to moff gideon ship because as we saw in the last episode baby yoda still not calling him grogu sorry has been taken prisoner by moff gideon so what mayfield does he gets he gets released from his like work place prison camp assignment which i just thought was funny because that's kind of an old school touch 
remodernized for Star Wars. You know, like guys swinging the pickaxes in their striped pajamas. This was kind of a reimagining of that in the Star Wars, which I liked. And he basically takes them to an Imperial Rhydonium refinery on Morak. First of all, you just have to love the sci-fi bullshit jargon that just came out of my mouth. That's just fun. (laughs) Second of all, it's cool because here they have to infiltrate the refinery factory with these explosive volatile chemicals. And they have to do so by taking on the armor and appearance of Imperial soldiers, which causes this whole Mando helmet, you know, subplot, which I thought was pretty great. I mean, they have Bill Burr literally doing a Bill Burr stand-up set about religion to Mando in the middle of the show. Look, if you were born on Mandalore, you believe one thing. If you are born on Alderaan, you believe something else. But guess what? Neither one of them exists anymore. Hey, I'm just a realist. I'm a survivor, just like you. Let's get one thing straight. You and I are nothing alike. I don't know. Seems to me like your rules start to change when you get desperate. I mean, look at you. You said you couldn't take your helmet off, and now you got a stormtrooper one on. So what's the rule? Is it that you can't take off your Mando helmet or you can't show your face? And even though it sort of takes you out of it, it still works because it applies to who he's saying it to. He makes a great point about, is your rule that you can't show your face or that you can't take off the yeah. helmet in such a Bill Burrian a way? Difference. Yeah, in such a smug but very truthful Bill Burr way. I mean, that's his shtick. So seeing him do what we've come to know him for in the real world in this show was very, very cool for me. Yeah. Good for and Bill it, Burr. Exactly. You know I mean, now he's in a Star Wars <laughs> amazing project. Good for him, man. And, and I really like that specific conversation because what he's really talking about is the shifting perspectives, how our stances emotionally and mentally, how I, our ideologies shift based on circumstances. And I thought this was one of several really strong ideas that were the foundation of this, the episode beyond comic relief, beyond action. And we're going to touch on that more as we talk, but just a really, really interesting, compelling, thematic side note on the episode. And there's more to come, which I like. Um, so then to hijack an Imperial transport that disguise themselves as Imperial soldiers, Cara Dune, and Boba Fett and, uh, oh God, what, what's the other character's name? I can't remember. Fennec Shan. Fennec, 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 jeez. I, I, I always get her uh, confused, I apologize. And Fennec, they're basically setting up- And Boba, you know, who is looking fantastic these days. Got himself a fresh paint job. Yeah, he's Ooh. looking good. They're, yeah. they're support team all around the- uh, Even the, though, the let me just say, the design of his ship is fucking preposterous. It we never make... saw Attack of the Clones, which I'm going to bring back later. Do they explain why it's shaped like that? No, but it, it, the ship does awesome stuff in Attack of the Clones. Well, it, it, look, it is, it is loaded up. I mean, he's got some dope shit on there. But how do, if you aren't driving, how are you supposed to be seated so you don't get violently tossed out of here like you're upside down one second? The design makes no sense. I don't want to hear it. My theory is that there is an internal gravitational uh, stabilizer. That's my theory, but you know. So they hijack this uh, Imperial transport and then a bunch of pirates come along. They're trying to blow the shit out of this Rhydonium because they don't want these colonizers on their planets, which fair. And this is another point that Bill Burr's character talked about a little bit later, which I can't wait to get to. And this was essentially 
Star Wars's version, another version, because we've already saw, saw, it, saw it in Solo, of a train battle. You know, like we're going to fight on top of a really fast moving object. And Mando doesn't have his Beskar armor, which he very quickly realizes after taking some heavy shots. But because he's Mando and he's our superhero, he still whoops. And this was a very cool scene to see that he doesn't need to be, you know, stocked up to still be a badass. Yeah, exactly. And that was really cool. And some some pretty good fight scenes and actions. There's a lot of explosions going on. You know, they they, they start it well, too, because there's an intercom with chatter. And you hear a couple other stormtroopers on other transports going like, what the hell is that? Boom, something blows up. They're like, uh, what's going on? Then there's another explosion off to the left of the screen in the distance. They're like, uh-oh. And then the pirates kind of come to them. It's this really good way of building the tension that I thought was directed well by um, Rick Fumayawa. And I apologize if I'm butchering that name. Obviously, because they have to for the plot purposes, they do reach the facility safe and sound. And then Mayfield, Bill Burr, needs to go into this terminal to essentially hack into whatever thing he needs to to get the information. But unfortunately, he recognizes his former commanding officer. And I loved the whole, like, behind enemy lines vibe of this, right? Like, being Definitely. deep in, like, be, like you know, not so much spies, but being deep in with hundreds and hundreds of stormtroopers. And they're just smiling and waving and trying to act like it's all cool. And... Seeing Mando step outside his comfort zone to save Baby Yoda has been so rewarding. Like, as we've said all season, the character development that they've done with him this year, to me, has been one of season two's strongest points. And this was yet another one where he grew immensely in the sense that he is willing to sacrifice his lifelong norms thanks to a pep talk from fucking Bill Burr. To save, you know, the one thing that he truly cares about. And yeah. it, and, and that sort of loops back into what Star Wars has always been, right? Like an inherently hopeful tale about doing the right thing. And he has come to epitomize that in every way. Yeah, he makes what is for the Mando the ultimate sacrifice. Because Mayfield is afraid that his former commanding officer is going to rescue, uh, recognize him, Mando is the one who has to go to the terminal, which requires a face scan. So despite everything, he does take off his helmet in front of other people. You get to see that beautiful Pedro Pascal face. And I just love, and this is just a ridiculous thing to observe, but I just love within the universe, despite the fact that Din Djarin does not let a single living soul see his face, he still maintains a mustache. Which, as every man knows, is relatively like weak, weakly manscaping maintenance. So Mando, in between adventures, is taking off his helmet and just like shaping and, and trimming, even though nobody sees it, which is just hilarious. Because that says to me, he's like, I like my mustache. This mustache will stay. Um, I wrote down that you forget that he's like a handsome movie star. I was like, oh yeah, Pedro Pascal. And it's clear that they're trying to work towards that he only wears the helmet in combat, right? Yeah. Uh, because w- with that face, you can't not. Like, I was like, and I guess that speaks to how well he's doing in his voice role. But I do forget that oh. that's him. I was like, oh, my God, he is playing this character. I completely forgot about that. Um, I will point out that he looked much better and cleaner than when, when we saw his face the first time. It looks well, like he cut his hair. Yeah, but he looks like he cut his hair. 
and he was less greasy. It looks like he was showered and shaven, as you just said. Yeah, he maintains Overall, he just looked much better than, than he did. Like if Mando would ever allow himself to date, the guy would clean up. Oh, for sure. It's coming. Uh, so it I, is. To, to your point, I already... He's got the kid. He just needs the wife now. It's true. It's true. I, I thought this was a perfect marriage of giving the fans what they want. Oh my God, it's Mando's face. Yay! <laughs> and also actually being a really appropriate moment in the story for him to do this. I thought it was perfect balance. Yep. I mean, they clearly wrote it to be that way, but yeah. it worked within the framework of the plot and where we were going. And again, the fact that they did this by looping back in Bill Burr's season one character is unreal. It's such a flex by them. It's like, hey, let's bring back the guy from the episode that's largely thought of the worst one and make him key to our plot. Yeah. That's a flex. Brings with him a lot of philosophical intrigue. Uh, Now, so Mando ends up getting the information he needs, but that stupid commanding officer comes over, starts talking to him, for all of Din Jaren's strengths and abilities, quick on his feet and talking his way out of situations is not one of them. So Bill Burr's like, ah, fuck. And he comes over to start chatting him up to try to get him out of there. This leads to what I think is one of the very best scenes in the entire season. Which movie did it remind you of, Eric? Because you know, you gotta believe, you gotta be thinking of the same one I am. Is it a Star Wars? Oh, oh. With that scene, what did that- Inglorious Bastards. Yep, three glasses of whiskey. Absolutely. It was their version of undercover- Try Glazer. Yeah, exactly. Doing their best to talk their way through a situation with a hostile, uniquely interested commanding officer is peppering them with questions. It's a very, very tense situation. Andy has a dope line. He says, what people think they want is freedom, but what they really want, dot, 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 is order. And that is a hint to the upcoming First Order. It's got to be. Absolutely. And he says the New Republic is in disarray, and that's what kind of leads into that comment. And I'm going to circle back around when we're done with the kind of plot recap, because that is also one of the really strong ideas in this episode that elevated beyond just mere Western action in space, which I love. So this conversation is great. It's a tense drink. And this suspicious commanding officer is trying to probe them, but Mayfield, he just cannot get over past trauma. He just cannot get over past trauma, which I can understand. He reveals that under this commanding officer, he was part of Operation Cinder, in which between five and 10,000 soldiers died because of this guy's decision-making, not to mention the scores of uh, innocent natives on the planet that died as well. And you can tell Mayfield has been holding on to this grudge for so long. And the tension builds and the conversation builds until this guy just absolutely snaps and shoots the commanding officer in the chest. Bill Burr, the fact that he was able to, who, come on, I mean, it's Bill Burr. It's not like this guy is going to win a Emmy anytime soon. But for a scene that was really genuinely tense, he did a great job of carrying his weight against a character actor who I've seen play the creepy bad guy thousands of times. Like, I know that guy. I've seen him, and he is always terrifying. And Bill Burr, awesome, man. That was Richard Brake 
who has been in a number of oh, things. Oh, he is in Batman Begins. He plays the guy who kills Bruce Wayne's parents. Boom. Nailed that uh, one. Nailed it. Yeah, he, he's in a bunch of stuff. He, <laughs> we've seen him. He's in Peaky Blinders and Ray Donovan. He's popped up. Popped up. He was Game. Of, he was the Night King for two episodes of Game of Thrones. There you go. Oh my so, god, that's really cool. Great, my, great poll, Eric. My guy. So essentially, he shoots him in the chest because this guy Mayfield's clearly been holding on to this trauma, this PTSD, which is also an interesting subplot for years. And naturally, you can't shoot a commanding officer in the mess hall of an Imperial fortress without attracting some attention. Bunch of stormtroopers start converging on them. They break a window, start climbing to the roof. Fennec and uh, Cara Dune are sniping as cover. They make it to the roof. Boba Fett picks them up. And as they're leaving... I still like the ship. (laughs) And as they're leaving, Mayfield snipes a... Some no, type it's, of, it's the stuff that they brought. Oh, yeah. The, ri- the Rhydorium or whatever the fuck. The Rodinium. And I just thought, and this is a comedic nitpick. I'm not holding it against him. I just thought that a soldier who just admitted to being traumatized by the death of 10,000 soldiers of his fellow warriors, I just thought it was a little bit ironic that he now goes and blows up the entire fortress, which is presumably filled with relatively innocent people who are just caught up in the military industrial but he makes clear that he thinks it's the right thing to do because he says like it's a like i i gotta sleep at night so he think you know he clearly just is so but it is comedic yeah he only can see his morality when it's going his way ultimately because of his help and that the fact that he's clearly grown as a person in his incarceration and what he's discussed with them Cara Dune and Mando basically decide to set him free, which is cool because, you know, that's just a classic kind of Western trope. Let the outlaw who, who's changed go. And also sets him up for future appearances as well. And after this, for sure, I want him back. This then segues into one of the cooler elements of oh this God. episode. We get a glimpse of Moff Gideon on his Imperial cruiser and a very scared and nervous-looking subordinate comes and says, sir, we have, like, an incoming message. Throws it on, like, the hollow screen. It is Din Djarin calling this motherfucker out and basically telling him, dude, I am coming for you. In one of the more simply badass moments of the entire show, because it was less is more, it was understated. It was him staring at the camera. I'm coming for you, you motherfucker. You better run. I loved how they ended the episode. This was as hyped as I've ever been during a Star Wars film or, or show. Just the pure, like, let's fucking go-ness to it was... Because yeah. he has no reason to... I, well, unless he's trying to get in his head, he's got no reason to send him this warning shot except for the fact that he's trying to flex on him. There is no, there is no strategic reason to let him know that he's coming. Unless he's got some sort of plan, right? Because it seems very un-Din-like to act based on his heart and not his mind. To alert his enemy of his plan just because he wants to. uh, And it's worth pointing out that he said what Moff said to him in season one. Word for word. So these are mind games. What was it? What? The quote? Yeah. It was the one where he was like, you might think that you know what you have, but you don't. I didn't pick up on that. That's cool. 
Yeah, it was word for word. He's like, really this cool. means more to me than you will ever understand. Word for word. Uh, I, I'll put in the uh, clip here. You have something I want. You may think you have some idea of what you are in possession of, but you do not. Moff Gideon, you have something I want. You may think you have some idea of what you are in possession of, but you do not. Soon, he will be back with me. He means more to me than you will ever know. And then, uh, really cool. yeah, massive flex. So, so I just want to, so unless he's got something up his <laughs> sleeve, the fact that he did this was pure hype. It was nothing but hype. It was, it was a sign to us that this next one, Chekhov's Beskar Spear versus the Darksaber is coming. It was Michael Jordan just faxing to the media outlets, I'm back, when he re-signed with the uh, Chicago Bulls. Yep, yep, facts. So overall, I really liked this episode a lot. I thought they did a great job of balancing this side quest with more philosophical questions. And I've mentioned it throughout, but I just really love the ideas of the episode. They come from Mayfield saying, you know, good guy or bad guy, we're all invaders of the, in the eyes of the native populations. And I just think that's a fascinating comment on colonization and modern day imperialism that we still see, you know, around this modern world here on earth. And I love that the new Republic has the best of intentions, freedom and democracy for all. But when they're occupying your planet and taking up your resources and getting your you know, native people killed. It doesn't really matter what their intentions are. They're a bad influence. And I thought that was a great painting of how both sides have this tragedy and kind of ties into The Last Jedi a bit too, where he says, you know, both sides are doing bad things to accomplish what they want. Uh, We touched on it, the commanding officer saying, you know, the new Republic is in disarray and what people think they want is freedom, but what they really want is order. That's commentary on the human condition. You know, we've seen that in uh, the original Avengers from 2012. Perhaps our most comfortable, familiar state is on our knees in submission. Is that what we really want? How much are we willing to trade for security? That's a theme in V for Vendetta. You know, you've seen that pop up everywhere. And I think it's really weighty material to introduce into Mando. And I'm not always an immediate rewatcher of the episodes just because there's too much going on. But this is a scene in a conversation, an episode I want to rewatch because I think it's so cool that he's talking about something that is applicable to the real world here even though this is a fantastical space world that we're in and then as we've mentioned throughout i loved mayfield's commentary on shifting perspectives you know we are only as good as the situation allows us to be and some ideologies and some traditions and practices maybe should be not suspended but ameliorated changed put in a case-by-case basis because the world is constantly evolving and we have to evolve with it so this episode of Mandalorian had more on its mind than any episode in season two, in my opinion. And I really appreciated it and loved it because of that. And when you combine all of that with what we've talked about this whole time, about the actual action of the show, the sort of in deep with the enemy tension, combined with the on the run pirate fights, this was Mandalorian at its peak when it's not, you know, doing the directly main plot and having him, you know, fight Moff or whatever. In terms of a one-off, a side quest, 
quote unquote, this was this show at the peak of its powers. Yeah, and a great penultimate episode to set up the finale. Oh, yeah, I can't wait. All right, let's hop into next our week's needs category. to be at least an hour. I gotta at believe least. it's gonna be a, a supercharged episode. Yeah. Supersized episode. Yep. All right, let's hop into our awards and categories. Eric, kill count. Oh, Jesus. When I made this one, I thought that I could keep up, but it's they. Uh, as I said, they stack bodies on this they show. Did. So he kills around 25 to 30 pirates, I'd say, uh, because the the ships come in waves. I'd say there's at least eight of those pirate cruiser ships, and there's at least three of them on each ship. So that's 8, 16, 24 right there. Uh, And then they go into that base and kill, and they blow the whole thing up, which is (laughs) another. And when they walk in, there's hundreds of them there. So I'd say that this is somehow the highest of the season again. And considering they blew up the entire base, we're looking at 100 plus this week. <laughs> it's funny to think about, but our hero of this story is He's absolutely kid- a mass murderer. Yeah, this is everywhere he goes is mayhem. <laughs> now, my kill of the week, I had two. Number one, I thought it was really funny when one of the pirates blows up themselves and then the ship behind those pirates is just coming into the oncoming flames and the, you get a look at that guy's face being like ah shit and then Very they cool blow shot. up too. I thought yeah. that was good and then number two i chose this specifically because you didn't watch attack of the clones when boba fett's slave one spaceship is leaving he drops that blue concussion grenade type missile did you catch that yeah yeah, yeah that, that that was sweet and that's why i said while the ship looks dumb He's definitely got some awesome yeah. cannons and stuff on it. But that specifically, we saw that those missiles or bombs, whatever you want to call them, in Attack of the Clones when he has this kind of dogfight standoff with Obi-Wan in an asteroid field. And for all that movie's terribleness, that was a really cool scene. And it was cool to just bring them. It's just a weapon. It's, and they, it's a subtle but not so subtle callback. And I just thought that was really cool. Gotcha. Yeah, same. Despite the fact that I didn't know what it was, it was still a dope yeah. scene. Uh, trip to the Jedi Temple, discussing any references to Jedi Force or lightsabers. I watched carefully. I don't think there was anything no. in this that was nope. forcey. It was more yeah. just, hey, we got shit to do. Yeah, same. Right. If anything, they delved into more Mandalorian lore this week. Yeah, which was really cool, you know, the, the lost planet and everything. I yeah. love that. The Baby Yoda aw and or holy shit moment of the week. This is the first, first one? episode that Baby Yoda does not make an appearance. Yep. Not good. <laughs> not good. That, that's not well good. Said. <laughs> not good. Uh, use the Force, the best action fight moment of the episode. May the Force be with you. May the Force be with you. May the Force be with you. Anakin, may the Force be with you. May the Force be with you, Master. May the Force be with you both. Whew. There were some good ones in here. I, I thought it may not have been the best choreograph, but I thought them scaling the building as there are two sniper support uh, friends just take people out. I just thought that was cool because everybody loves a good like sniper support team. Yeah, this one's kind of cheating for me because it's not really a fight scene, but a gun is fired. And that's when they have that standoff with the uh, Imperial officer. That was great. That was the best action quote-unquote scene not action but drama stakes etc etc all right now we are moving on to wikipedia anything deep cut nerdy we might think casual fans need further explanation bill burr's character does touch on the turmoil that mandalore the planet 
has been in. We've discussed it on this pod before, but there was Mandalorian civil wars. There was the Mandalorian purge, which came from the emperor. That planet used to be like a fruitful, normal green planet and is now this kind of desert wasteland that people still live on. It's still important, but man, that planet's seen better days. Yeah, Ben, as you said, you think that that's where the show is going to go one day. Yeah, I, be- I believe he will team up with Bo-Katan and the future of the, the show will be them trying to retake Mandalore and restore its glory and all that I like good that. Stuff. The more that they tell us about him and his kind and his past, the more that I want to know because it's yeah, fascinating exactly. stuff. Because they've just for 30 years, Jedi, Jedi, Jedi. So to give us an equally influential and strong group that we can now learn about their culture and their ways is much needed. <clears throat> Definitely. Uh, Medal of Yavin, the MVP of the episode. It's easy, right? Bill Burr, it's kind of good. Yeah, surprisingly, unbelievable. That's why this show is I- incredible. That they can turn. dumb, annoying yep. character is now one of the coolest side supporters in the season. Yeah, unbelievable, these guys. All right, this is the way. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. We think mm-hmm. things are going to go. Mm-hmm. Predictions for the next episode, which also double as the season finale. <sighs> I think Moff Gideon dies. I think, wow. I think John Carlo Esposito's out. Wow, I like that. I, we've been saying it all season. Chekhov's Beskar Spear. I think that we are going to get a Mando-Moff duel, which is like the first non-Jedi lightsaber battle that we're going to be getting sort of right in live action i'm pretty sure yeah yeah pretty cool baby yoda do we think he's saved yeah i definitely think he's saved okay god damn it he better be or i'm coming for heads disney i cannot for a year worry about grogu (laughs) all right now we're going to move on to some listener questions guys you can always tweet at us at postcred pod we love engaging in discussion we love fielding your questions for our pods and we love just bullshitting with hilarious memes so please follow us at postcred pod from at two words for you the fact that black panther isn't being recast must be discussed sure sure he may be taking the mantle but to completely do away with t'challa meh uh i think out of respect for chadwick chadwick boseman you don't recast right now on a long enough timeline, I will guarantee you that Tony Stark, Steve Rogers, Captain America, Thor, all of these guys will be recast because there's too much money to be made. That will include a new iteration of T'Challa, guaranteed on a long enough timeline. I'd put any amount of money on it. And it's not like they have a lot of moves they can make here, right? Black Panther 1 did incredibly well. People around the world adored it. They're not going to shut it down. They're not going to recast the role yet. What I am surprised is that they are going forward with it so quickly. Given they have so much in the works, you would think that they would wait a little bit until feels more normal that he's gone because it still feels sort of fresh. And the fact that they're going to have to explain that within the context of the MCU, I'm sure, is no small feat. That's going to be emotional. Do I think that Shuri can lead a film? I have my doubts. So where they go from here in terms of who leads that franchise is going to be fascinating. I'm fine if Shuri takes over the Black Panther mantle. And, and I think actually this is res- a respectful way to do it in not recasting for the sequel. So I, I'm fine with what appears to be the strategy right I now. I saw a theory out there that they should revive uh, Eric Kill- Killmonger. I know, but at the same time, like, 
how how many times are we going to Loki it where someone's a mass murderer and they're like, you know what? He's been pretty good behavior lately. Yeah, that's a good point. I, just, I can't like condone like Killmonger being a hero now. Yeah. Although, yeah, Michael B. Jordan would be amazing, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other question, another question. So which Star Wars property are you most f- hyped for? What about Marvel? I think we both touched on that. Uh, a collection of different projects. Me, uh, Acolyte, and Obi-Wan, as well as Taika Waititi's movie. Uh, and for Marvel, what was it? WandaVision, Loki, uh, What If, and Moon Knight. Yeah, I'm going to go with Obi-Wan, uh, and I'm going to go with Moon Knight. Pending Oscar Isaac's casting, because now I'm worried, Gotta Brandon. Confirm. Thank Gotta you for confirm. that. <laughs> All right, and last question from at Final Take Pod. This is a good one. Between the three Marvel series coming next year, which one do you think will have the greatest overall impact on MCU storyline? Series. Series now. Now that would be WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I and believe Hawkeye. Ms. Marvel? Hawkeye or, Mar- or Miss Marvel? Loki, maybe? Maybe Loki, yeah. Either way, you could sort of wipe off both of those. The one that's going to impact the MCU the most is going to be the first one that we get. WandaVision. It yep. confirmed to connect to Doctor Strange too. And I forgot to mention this. I have this in my notes. Uh, when we were discussing the potential concerns for Marvel, Kevin Feige is on record as saying, as of a year, year and a half ago, when we started talking about Disney Plus's Marvel Empire, moving forward, you're going to have to be up to date on various MCU projects, unlike Star Wars, which is going to be more pick and choose. And so because of that, because of the more interconnectivity it is going to be difficult and the expectations and floor needs to continue to be high because if one subpar project leads into another project, you know, spirits are going to be dampened going into the bigger one. And during yesterday's investor day pre- presentation, he also said, Miss Marvel is going to co-star in Captain Marvel too. So you're seeing that these worlds and these mediums are going to bleed into one another. So it, it has to work. That's what I'm saying. That's also a concern that, maybe Star Wars isn't under as much pressure. Yes, and these are all fair concerns. But as I said on this podcast, Marvel has done nothing for the last 12 years but proved that they are fully in control of their plan. They have never screwed up to the extent that we are currently concerned about right now. Um, and I don't see them doing that, especially because, again, as we've, we've talked about, for these next few years, these projects are smaller. Despite the fact that they're so interconnected, they're smaller. We're not going back into this gigantic Thanos tale. Everything is sort of being reset and spread out, yeah. sort of like Game of Thrones. They spent years spreading out the chess pieces across the board, across the world, and then slowly brought them back in. We just saw in Endgame, all of them in one place. They've since been scattered and spread back out. And now, yeah. over the next few years, they're going to, once again, rebuild over five, ten years to a new endgame-like tale. And I totally have the faith that they are going to do that just fine. That's fair, Eric. I can't blame you on that one. <sighs> what a week, Brandon. What a fucking a week, dude. It was oh busy. God. It was a busy week. I'm glad it's the weekend. Let's put it that and way. now I have to go back and hear our voices for two more hours aren't i lucky i'm so sorry but you are the magic that makes this podcast we appreciate it thank you sir next week mandalorian finale stay tuned everybody until next week all right y'all peace
is Maximus Decimus Meridius. 